everybody. So, so we're here on a on a Thursday evening. The we're about halfway. We're, now we are officially halfway through. Officially halfway through the week because you know we have tomorrow night, and at some point on Saturday night we'll be live. And um, and that'll be nice. Well, we, me, Lauren, who knows? But still, it'll be a nice little time with everybody. And I, uh, I'm really excited about tonight because Thursdays are always chill. Fridays are always chill. Once we're over that hump, and we have a return guest, a good friend, uh, Timothy Gordon, is on the show tonight. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, but I have to set the table with quite a few topics. When he comes on, we're going to talk about a little bit of what we're going to open with. I want to get his opinion on that. Um, <clears throat> I also want to talk to him about the euthanasia thing that's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, because now the rest of the world is starting to realize how this euthanasia trend is sweeping across the Western world. Uh, especially with the concentration in Canada. They want everybody to kill themselves. And, and then, uh, you know, a little bit Christmassy stuff. They think that they found, they think that they found the original tomb of St. Nicholas. So we ought to talk about that and be able to just chill. In the second half, whatever time we have left, get to the calls, get to some other things. And uh, and tomorrow should be a really nice, relaxing whatever the hell. You know what I mean? In fact, I think if we were going to go back, if we were going to go back one year to December 15th, 2021, I believe that Timothy Gordon was my guest. On December 15th, 2021. I, I could be wrong, but I think he was. There's something about dates sometimes that I, I get things um, all up in there. All right, well, thank you to my sponsor tonight, Secret Nature CBD. This is, as I say, a must-have company to include in your at-home medicine cabinet. That's what you need. All natural medicines, high CBD, low THC, full spectrum. Full spectrum experience means all the benefits of full spectrum cannabinoids and terpenes without the high and the common negative side effects like thinking that your organs are shutting down because you're so you're so high and paranoid that you lost kidney function. Up oh, there goes the pancreas. It's gone. It's my spleen has just burst. It's over. You know things like that. You don't get that with this. <laughs> you don't. You don't get that with this. Plus, there's the tinctures and the oils and the, the, the flour, whatever you want. Go to uh, secretnaturecbd.com and shop away. Shop away. There's still time. We're, we're playing with fire here now, ladies and gentlemen. But there's still time to get everything you need from any of our affiliates and sponsors and friends to be able to be part of your gift baskets for friends in your life um, for, for Christmas. I, I find that streamlining gifts these days are just so much better. Give everybody a bottle of wine and some, some silver and some uh, something to smoke and something to drink, something to snack on, whatever the hell it is. And then, of course, you find little personalized things along the way, like a book. Great. And everybody comes away with it. Because you know ultimately what I want for Christmas every year now? I just want to have a good day. That's all I want. I don't want any presents. I really don't. I don't want any presents. I know it's going to happen, and I know that it's something you just can't pull out of people anymore, and you can't do it ever. Uh, but if I can snap my fingers, 
I would I, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I'll still have the urge to give to people. Then they'll feel like shit that they didn't give anything to me. Okay, fine. The present stay. Whatever. You see, you can't do this. Can't navigate it. It's almost like the politics involved in putting together the seating chart for your wedding. Can't do it. That's why you just have a sit-where-you-want wedding and have a buffet, and that's all. Nobody not talking to each other for 20 years afterwards because of where they were seated. It's all your fault if you have a bad seat. How did Twin Peaks get up here now? Anyway, let me put something else on. There you go. Perfect. So thank you, Secret Nature CBD, promo code FRANKLY. All right, let's jump right into it, shall we? Because I have a few things. First one up is the Mrs. Dr. Demento. <laughs> Dr. Demento, Joe Biden. Yesterday, he went up uh, and he said this. He's announcing a new initiative, the Digital Transformation with Africa, to invest 350 Now, he says billion dollars, but it's not billion. I was, uh, anyway, here, here, listen to this. I'm announcing a new initiative, the Digital Transformation with Africa, working with Congress to invest $350 billion to facilitate more than almost a half a billion dollars in financing to make sure people across Africa can participate in a digital economy. Now, that's funny. He says he screws up. He says $350 billion to facilitate a half a billion dollars worth of financing. Because if we were to send $350 billion over there, only about a half a billion dollars would be used to financing some kind of digital infrastructure that still should not be done in Africa. He says that means a program to train African entrepreneurs with a focus on African women. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. That's going to help everybody. As Ron Paul always said, foreign aid is taking money from poor people in rich countries and giving it to rich people in poor countries. That's all it is. Might as well have been $350 billion because all these people are doing at this point are taking out loans from dying men. That's what it is. That's what the American dollar is at this point. You know in the, in the Sopranos when Vito, Vito Spadafore is trying to make his way back into New Jersey after he's been outed as a homosexual and he knows that he's in danger but he thinks he might be able to pull this off. Uh, he doesn't make it out. And everybody knows that he's probably going to get done away with. So he makes his way back into town and he bumps into somebody at the grocery store and uh, you, know, you can tell the guy he's probably just like a, a common button man or something. He uh, doesn't want to touch Vito or anything like that, but he does have the wherewithal to say, hey, listen, I, I, I'm in a hard spot for whatever. Do, do you mind if I have, do you mind if you, you, you give me a loan? And uh, I, I don't know what he asked for. I don't know, $15,000, $20,000, something like that. And Vito's like, yeah, no, no problem, no problem, no problem. And uh, it, it'll, that'll only, uh, it'll cost you two points or whatever the hell kind of interest he puts on it. And uh, the other guys, yeah, no, yeah, whatever. Because at that point, you could put 10% interest on it. You know this guy's a dead man, and you just made out with cash, whatever. That is what's going on right now with Ukraine. That's what's going on with Africa. Just pump, pump the monopoly money in. You see, we're in such a demoralized state that, I mean, all you can, you, you, all you can bring yourself to do, what me at least, all I can bring myself to do and others out there is to say things like, can you believe this? Can you believe this? And some morons actually believe that this is a good thing. That's, a, that's another story altogether. Those are the most lamentable creatures on earth. 
But sane people will see this and say, what a waste. But it's more than a waste. It's, it's, it's thievery. It's thievery. It's all stolen money. Money stolen from us. Here's another one. That was yesterday. This is today. Biden administration pledges additional $2.5 billion in food security assistance for Africa. And I see people in the, in the comments now, at least they're saying, uh, you know, where is this money coming from? Oh, it's easy to say your great, great grandchildren. That's where it's coming from. Your great, great grandchildren, people who have not been born yet. Okay. This is the, this, and, and they're doing this from future generations of Americans because they really know that there's not going to be an America, not the one that we know or the one that we were born into and watched so drastically change over the last 25 years. That America is not going to exist by the time your great-great-grandchildren are born, if they are born at all. Because America, by that time, the piper is going to have to be paid. And I said it's taking out a loan from a dying man. So um, there you have it. There you have it. So at least at least African women are going to become boss ladies. That'll help. That'll help us all. All right. And meanwhile, while all this is going on, here's what the the, the media, the the uh, the crazy ass media is losing their minds over. Here's a little bit of a uh, a collection. Elon Musk had tweeted out uh, uh, maybe a day or two ago. Follow the white rabbit which got people going crazy. Here's a little bit of the response. Caroline Orr Bueno says Elon Musk is now explicitly encouraging his 120 million followers to start following QAnon. Put differently, Elon Musk is encouraging his 120 million followers to join the domestic terrorism movement. Oh my God. Caroline, are you okay? Somebody check on Caroline to see if she's okay. More. Alex, ALX. How many hit pieces will be there? He, he says this. Um, he says this to Elon Musk. This is not a. Uh, this is not a. Um, uh, a slight to uh, Elon Musk. He asks, "How many hit pieces will be there like this from New York Times and Wapo?" Rabbits are the new symbol of the right-wing hate. Here's why they're dangerous. Bunny emojis are hate speech, says Elon Musk. Bloomberg, nearly each day that goes by, sees Elon Musk amplifying more paranoid ideas to the to dangerous effect. Oh, boy. Newsweek, QAnon followers are reading into Elon Musk's white rabbit tweet. Vice News, Elon Musk's latest Twitter rant includes an explicit encouragement to his 121 million followers to look into QAnon. Follow the white rabbit, he tweeted Monday. Here's what that really means. Oh, no. Midas Touch says, in case you didn't realize it yet, this is now an app for QAnon run by a fascist. Oh, no. That's what they were losing their minds over while billions are billions upon billions are being siphoned off to Ukraine and and we're not we're still knocking on the door of nuclear engagement. You understand that, right? Like it's the only logical it's the only logical thing to go to next. It's not getting any better out there. We, we, We have to cycle around the topics a little bit, but we'll be getting back to that. But, you know. All of that misplaced woke journalism, all that rage, 
it is not without its consequences. I am delighted to report to you on. Here's a little something that I was able to talk to about with my uh, buddies Zach and Adel on taking it back at four o'clock today. Here's the Washington Post, a little scene from a, a town hall meeting at the Washington Post with all of their staffers and, and whatever. And recently, the Washington Post has reported an, esti- has reported an estimated loss of 500,000 subscribers. That's in the past year. And they had to announce that layoffs are coming to the paper. And this town hall meeting that they put together didn't, uh, didn't really pan out very well for everybody there. Listen to this as a, I don't know who this guy's position is, but um, he's, being, he's being called out and asked, begged to give answers about what's going to be done to protect jobs at the Washington Post. Okay, so listen to this. He says this was not supposed to be a grievance session, and they're all now. Now you'll hear the rest of them start crying. Brad, you talked about positions getting eliminated. What are you going to do to protect people's jobs? Are they going to be treated like the magazine staffers were? We we'll have, we'll have more information as we move forward. Thank you very much. And how will these positions be decided? You seem to be disrespecting this. There you go. What are you going to be doing to uh, to keep people, to protect people's jobs? Now, I said it before to a degree. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to be dispassionate about this part, this part over here. It goes to show again just how people are raised and how they are living in a complete bubble. Everybody's in a respective bubble of their own, no doubt. And and I also want to acknowledge it is a terrible feeling to come to terms with the fact that you are about to lose a gig that is vital to keeping you afloat financially, to learn that a gig is gone. I, as a longtime personal trainer, can tell you in in an industry where the attrition rate is very high, that you bring on clients almost as, as, uh, as quickly as you lose some, it sucks. It sucks when you're when you're when you're feeling good. It's feast or famine. It sucks. Now we have all been there, and when you're, as I said, in a, in a in a volatile place, you're in that situation, that fight or flight situation all the time. But even if you're you had stability at the Washington Post, you know, to have this go away, it blows, especially before a holiday. You'll be toasting champagne at midnight on December 31st, but you'll be thinking about your next paycheck the entire time. Where is it going to come from? But uh, to come from this mindset where you're asking an employer, what are you doing to protect our jobs? Uh, Nothing. They don't have a duty to protect your jobs. They have a duty to prevent a business from going under. If the business is not going well, it must adjust. If the business is not doing well at all, it must adjust to at least stabilize itself because if the whole thing goes belly up, then everybody loses their jobs. That's just the way it is. And the reason why they're making cuts and not giving you bonuses instead is because you provide a product that people want less and less because your product is fucking trash. There's no demand. There's decreased demand for it. In fact, if this country was trending in the way that they say it is politically, then your subscribership should be through the roof. But it's not. Just like people aren't watching the Grammys as much as they should. Just like people aren't packing the theaters for AOC's new movie as much as they should. Okay? 
It's not a human right to be employed. I'm sorry to tell you that. Hurts a lot of people's feelings. There are, there, there are natural laws in place to economics. There are economic natural laws that cannot be broken and cannot be overridden artificially. You cannot protect jobs for people if a building, uh, if a building and its businesses are floundering. You can't do it. Now, that's just the cold, dispassionate explanation for what's going on in this video. The uh, personal response is, fuck all of you. People like me are meant to jump through rings of fire to reach people who are genuinely interested in what new media has to say. And firewalls are routinely put up in the marketplace so that shows like mine, many shows like mine, all right, are, are, are separated from people. And it's all done for what? To benefit these old, musty, twat newspapers like the Washington Post so they can be promoted instead. And still it doesn't help them. It doesn't help them. You can't reanimate the corpse. You can't just, you just can't do it. So that's where we're at. And that's a little, that's a little uh, basic, basic lesson in how the market works. Must suck. And it does, because I've, I've, I've had that feeling in my gut many times of taking a financial blow, uh, especially at vital times during the year, having some kind of peace of mind shaken because now you're back on the hunt again. I, I know what it's like, but if to, to not understand, to not understand that this is a group effort to tank your, uh, to tank a name like Washington Post, that's a group effort right there. So I don't know what else to say. Um, oh, there is one other thing. There is one other thing. You want to see an absolute loser? Like a, a total, absolute, complete loser. Here, I'm going to show you a loser. His name is John Boehner. And this guy was the the Speaker of the House not too long ago. In recent memory, you might remember him. He was a, a lush who loved to cry all over himself. And now here he is again, crying, just thinking about Nancy Pelosi, I shit you not. Uh, you've been unfailingly gracious, gracious to me, to my... No, he was right the first time. Nancy has been, has been completely graceless. You've been unfailingly gracious. You see why they, they have a lot in common? They're stuttering losers, both of them. Gracious to me, to my family, and, uh, frankly, my team here in Washington... And, Madam Speaker, I have to say, my girls told me, tell the Speaker how much we admire her. What a fucking loser. What a fucking loser. I couldn't tell my girls were Democrats. <laughs> okay, so go blow your schnoz there, John. Who do you think drinks more, John Boehner or Nancy Pelosi? Who, like, if they were going to get into a, if they were going to get into a, like an old, you know, uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, he, the, he, like John Boehner and, and, and Nancy Pelosi go to Karen Allen's Siberian bar or wherever the hell they are, Nepal. 
It's a snowy night out, and they've got the whiskey in front of them or the whatever kind of shit they're slinging down. Who do you think can take down more? John Boehner or Nancy Pelosi? That's what I want to know. Got to figure that one out. It's a hypothetical, though, so maybe we'll take a poll sometime. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. and stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Welcome. Welcome, ladies and gents. Here we are on uh, the 15th day of December. And, well, we have a little more to do. It's the, the pre-show is done. Welcome to Quite Frankly. If you want to become a sponsor of the show just tonight, then you can send a super chat either through Rumble Rants or QuiteFranklySuperChat.com or on the uh, the website, quitefrankly.tv, right there in the chat room, powered by Foxhole. There's also the Rockfin tips, whatever. That's how you can put your mind uh, to use and your opinions on the record with also a, a little contribution attached. Other than that, I'm hoping at the end of the show I will be able to open up the lines and take one or two calls and and read other things that are going on. But... But thank you for being here tonight, and I guess I want to get to the other big topic, and that was Trump's big announcement today. Now, when we woke up, or yesterday, when we were talking about the Ubermensch, we did that because there was a big announcement that there would be a big announcement. And what came earlier on in the day? Well, this is what we were hit with first. Donald Trump, major announcement. My official Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here. These limited edition cards featuring amazing art of my life and career. Collection of your favorite Trump digital trading cards. Very much like a baseball card, but hopefully much more exciting. Go to collecttrumpcards.com. Get your cards now. Only $99 each would make a great Christmas gift. Don't wait. They will be gone, I believe, very quickly. So I, I guess it's NFTs. That's what you, you talk that you call them. It's Trump in different kinds of uh, superhero gear, in an astronaut's uh, uh, suit and all that stuff. And uh, and it left a lot of people going, I hope this is not the full announcement, is it? This can't be the announcement. This would be literally like getting the Dakota ring from A Christmas Story, the little orphan Annie Dakota ring, getting stuck with an Ovaltine commercial instead of, you know, some big secret something. Anyway, uh, I said I'll wait for I'll wait this this one out to the end of the day, and then if um, 
if this is all there is, I'll pour myself a nice stiff drink and have a chuckle to myself because what the fuck at this point. But um, either, I mean, the, the, here it is. It's just a Trump major announcement as a digital trading card. But then a couple of hours later came something else, and it was a announcement of Donald Trump's restoring free speech overview for 2024. Now, I wish that this had come first because it's a little, it's underwhelming to me and um, it's underwhelming and, and, and actually the NFT thing kind of put a taste in people's mouths that had, was not really washed out yet. Now you look at this and I'm just going to read through them with you and uh, I don't know, like I said, I'm, I'm underwhelmed, but that's just me. Here's the restoring free speech overview that they put out. Number one, ban federal agencies from colluding to censor American citizens. Ban taxpayer dollars from being used to label speech as mis- or dis- disinformation. Fire every federal bureaucrat who has engaged in domestic censorship. Immediately send preservation letters to Biden administration and tech giants. Order DOJ to investigate all parties involved in online censorship regime and prosecute any and all crimes identified. Revise Section 230 230 to drastically curtail platforms' power to restrict lawful speech. Stop federal funding for all nonprofits and academic programs engaged in censorship. Suspend federal dollars for any university that has engaged in censorship support activities. uh, Enact federal uh, criminal penalties for federal bureaucrats who partner with private entities to violate your constitutional rights, impose a seven-year cooling-off period before former intel and national security officials can work at big tech platforms and pass a digital bill of rights. Sounds sounds nice and flowery and nice, but if you take this one by one, uh, it's, I mean, to me, let's do that. Ban federal agencies from colluding to censor American citizens. Ban federal agencies. Well, uh, get rid of the federal agencies. It's already illegal for the federal government to be colluding with uh, American, with any kind of corporate in- interest to censor Americans. It's already illegal. It's a viol- It's a violation of constitutional rights. And like I said, their very presence is illegal. The agencies themselves. Ban taxpayer dollars from being used to label speech as mis- or disinformation. Yes, ban taxpayer dollars for being used uh, for anything of that matter. Nothing. Fire every federal bureaucrat who has engaged in domestic censorship. Yes. And then let's, let's, let's close down their offices. Let's close down the offices. Immediately send preservation letters to Biden administration and big tech giants. I thought this was decent. You see something big going on. You see all this disclosure going on in places like Twitter. Then you want to go out and grab it all. But, you know, uh, by the time you take office on January 2025, a lot of these other places might have it all destroyed already. Who knows? But that I think there's some merit there. Order the DOJ to investigate all parties involved in online censorship and prosecute any and all crimes identified. That that also, I think, is pretty good. Revise Section 230 to drastically curtail platforms. Now, I need somebody to explain 230 to me because the last time I saw, uh, it was pretty much just a the distinction of whether or not a platform is classified as a publisher or not. 
if they are a publisher, they are beholden to, uh, they have editorial rights and because and there is liability there if for libel and, and slander and all that. But if not, then, then what's going on there? I would like to have somebody break that down a little bit more. What is the actual revision? Is there a big revision that has to be made or is Section 230 just needs to be applied successfully in a court of law to, to set some kind of a precedent there? Now we get into other crap. Now, the, the next three are like, shit. Stop federal funding for all nonprofits and academic programs engaged in censorship. Nope, you are almost there, President Trump. Stop federal funding for all nonprofits and academic programs, period. Period. Suspend federal dollars to any university that has engaged in censorship support activities. No. Suspend federal dollars to any university, period. Period. There is, it's unconstitutional. The other thing that President Trump is going to have to do, um, the other thing he's going to have to do is rescind his anti-Semitism executive order for college campuses as well. He would have to do that, but that's not mentioned here. Enact criminal penalties for federal bureaucrats who partner with private entities to violate your constitutional rights. Well, you would imagine that would already be a, a crime. Impose a seven-year cooling-off period before former Intel and national security officials can work at big tech platforms. I can deal with that. I like that. I would like for there to be a seven-year cooling-off period before they go and join uh, MSNBC as national security analysts as well to continue pumping out their, uh, their, their company line. And then the big pass the digital bill of rights. What the fuck does that mean? People have been talking about digital bill of rights for years, but never elaborate on what's in it and why our original Bill of Rights is not good enough, why it doesn't apply elsewhere. I no, So that right there is like Pandora's box, all put into a tiny little bullet point that nobody has ever spent time to elaborate on and debate at all. So I can probably whittle this entire thing down to three decent points and the rest, I mean, to the unknowing, this all sounds great. But to those who know, this is literally 80% of it is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. 80% of it. So as far as the big announcement goes, I I wasn't impressed. But I don't, this is not something that keeps me up at night. I'm excited the next day anyway. Um, I guess I'm just not the audience that this is meant for. But uh, I, I would love to hear what you guys and gals think about that. I should be able to take some calls in the second half, and that'll be a fun time. That will be a fun time. I don't know. I don't know. There's just so much. There's so much happening on and off air, if you know what I mean. And I just, uh, I'm accepting any and all ideas as to where this is going. The nu- the nuclear war thing, that's something else too, again, that we have to talk about. But I need to bring up euthanasia tonight with Timothy Gordon because we're talking about ethical and also spiritual in uh, situations there. He should be joining me any second now. And I also want to talk to him about some theological issues and questions I've had about the faith and about Christmas and the incarnation and all that. It's actually a question that I'm going to keep on ice so that I can ask other people. Like, 
uh, Timothy Alberino. I was going to ask Jay Dyer last night. I'll have to save it for the next time he's on with me. And, um, and yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of what's on the, the agenda for tonight. I also have this Notre Dame's uncovered tomb. Since we're going to talk about St. Nicholas's tomb uh, being discovered, Notre Dame's uncovered tomb starts to reveal their secrets. If you remember, it's very rare on this show that we find a, uh, a follow-up to anything that is interesting like this. It's usually once or twice we hear about it and then it goes away. Unless, of course, it's articles about sex dolls. Notre Dame's uncovered tombs start to reveal their secrets. Two sarcophaguses. I thought it was sarcophagi. I thought that the, the isn't the plural of sarcophagus sarcophagi? Anyway, the two sarcophaguses unearthed in reconstruction work after 2019, uh, 2019 fire identified as elite canon of cathedral and young cavalier. Two lead sarcophaguses discovered buried under the nave at Notre Dame Cathedral in what was described as an extraordinary and emotional find have begun giving up their secrets, French scientists announced on Friday. Hey, Tim, are you there? I'm here. What's up, Frank? Ask me something, because you're, you're, you're a guy who has a really good uh, handle on the English language. Isn't the... isn't Well, I mean, sarcophagus is not an English word but isn't the plural of sarcophagus sarcophagi yeah yeah it is okay yeah, nominative plural yep. okay see the, over here the over here on the uh, on the guardian they published sarcophaguses <laughs> that's not so me. maybe it's in honor of christmas like hippopotamuses yes hip, oh. hip, hippopotami yeah <laughs> dude so so welcome yeah. well we're, are you sending over some video for me Oh, am I sending over video here? Never, never mind. I don't know what it's doing. Can you see me? No, I cannot. That's why. That's why I asked if you were sending video. Yeah. No. Hold on. Let me try to. Sorry, this is a weird connection. Let me. Uh, I'm with you. Let me try to get back on. All right. No problem. Bye. Sorry. You got it. So I'm just to keep reading this. And for the first contains the remains of a high priest. A high priest who died in 1710 after what experts say appeared to be a sedentary life. So it was it a, a fat skeleton? The occupant of the second was not had not yet been identified, and may never be, but is believed to be a young, wealthy, and privileged noble, aka a vampire, who could have lived as far back as the 14th century. The tombs were uncovered as part of a cachet of uh, statues, sculptures, and fragments of the cathedral's original 13th century rude screen buried under the floor of the, tra uh, the transept, crossing at the heart of the cathedral that was ravaged by fire in April 2019. Are we talking about the fire of the... Wow, I can't believe that it was that, that long ago already. I can't believe that it was that long ago already. It's almost four years almost four years since Notre Dame Cathedral went up in flames. Another unsolved mystery. The burial sites were described as of, of remarkable scientific quality and were found as a preventative dig. 
was completed under the floor where the heavy scaffolding is to be erected to install the cathedral's new spire. I got to ask some of my friends out there in France, how are things looking? How are things looking on their end? But on our end, we have our good buddy, Timothy Gordon here. Tim, was it the last, was it last December 15th you were on this show? I think so. I think I think we did a, a different December fifteenth show. Well, it's it's incredible. We should do this every year, December fifteenth. That should just be yeah, our we should. our standing That's appointment amazing. until it hits a weekend. Of course, that'll happen eventually. Yeah, man. How how, how are you? I mean, we we talk pretty often, but God bless you. Happy Advent. Yes, yes. Happy Advent. I'm I'm uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well as I can. Just staying busy and uh, and and focused. But I I love the work you've been doing. You've had some great uh, interviews. Um, you've you've done a lot of good stuff. And I'll tell you something else. People are very excited about starting off the new year with you and I once again for book club session two with C.S. Lewis going to be amazing I, I can't wait i can't wait actually because i don't read enough c.s lewis and this is going to help me and i as i say before this one in particular is a beautiful um visual experience i mean you are just taking your imagination is taken to places that is just it's incredible and um it plays off of so many human tendencies we have for you know possession of people and things and how you how letting go of that in in the the next phase of life the afterlife um it's just an it's an incredible conversation starter for sure so uh I'm, i can't wait to start off the new year with you like that you remember J.R.R. tolkien famed catholic one of my favorite catholics of the 20th century through a series of conversations with the group the the inklings for people out there, it was J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, whom Michael Knowles has been talking about a lot lately, the, the third member of the Inklings, doesn't get so much uh, coverage. They all, C.S. Lewis was converted to Christianity by Tolkien. Tolkien was disappointed he didn't get him for Catholicism because uh, Lewis, Lewis converted to Anglicanism instead after I think Tolkien felt he'd done all the legwork, but it was still... It's it's cool. It's just through conversation between friends. That's the real way to come at the truth. It's the Western dialectical tradition, and and um, it's a beautiful thing. And that's that's kind of what it's kind of what you do. It's kind of what I do on my show. I I think that's the greatest part about what what we do um, in this line of work. Obviously, this that that end can be uh, reached through so many different ways, the way that people express it. And it doesn't have to be professional either. It's just the way that people go on through life. You can be a construction worker, but have those little tiny human moments and conversation online at the deli every morning, picking up your coffee and everything. And those are the things that change people's lives. We just happen to do these, um, these, these conversations for public consumption as, as a job. And I think it's probably the most magical part of what we do. It's why I don't, on most nights, I don't care what I'm talking about. Just as long as everybody's here and we're hanging out. But more than, more than not, uh, those conversations have a, uh, they take on a, a, a far bigger impact and far bigger weight, you know, when you, when you apply it to the grand, the grand scheme of things. That's really true. Yeah, and it's it's the other part in the Western philosophical tradition, beginning with like Socrates and Plato. It's it's the other part of the conversation that that uh, 
it sounds all kumbaya and gay, but it, it really makes it special, especially when you're interacting with cool people online. You find people to be regular guests or, or friends online. You know, it's cool. We met this fall, you and I in person. It's incredible. Um, incredible. I've been, yeah, I've been hanging out uh, online a lot with Roy, Royce White lately and just really cool guy. I'm like, there's some real phony ones out there. There's some real, real ones though. And it's, it's really special. And you can really, we find people that are truly open-minded, not in the phony fake and gay radical left sense of it but truly open-minded you can really figure some stuff out when you when you have a couple couple smart guys that are open-minded and are willing to be wrong in order to be right i like that the willing to be wrong there because the the, the more you talk to people the more you have to you have to dig down deep into just basic etiquette where yeah you might have you might be unmoved on one aspect of a person's worldview or the way that they live their lives or something that they're doing that you think is uh is not the right way but to to be able to put that on a shelf for a moment and interact with them it uh it, it i think it gives us a little bit more sense of um humility in in living in a world with 8 billion people who are I'd have to imagine the the majority of them are good people or are striving to be good, uh, but good, as I said last night, does not mean perfect. And and uh, you can't walk around all you know throughout your life going and in, going into uh, into relationships, burning bridges, and and just destroying everything in these little purity spirals of people who don't live up to your standards all the time. You end up with no friends. You end up not being able to really convey the, uh, the, the whatever your truth or the truth is. It um, it really it really hampers things. It's a a big downfall of what purely digital interaction leaves you with all the time. People are just not acting the way they would if you were sitting across from them at a cafe table having a cup of coffee. They're they're not acting the way that they would. That's exactly right. And as a concluding notion here to the, what we're saying introductorily, I just say what the draw of your show, Frank. What I've always loved about it so much last four or five years as long as i've uh listened and what people love about it is i realized it tonight when i was getting the coffee together you're like to non-new yorkers especially but everyone who listens to you you're like a non-fat non-pissed off but but gratifyingly uh when you do get pissed off on air like what you're saying the first 20 minutes you're like a a better michael savage for, <laughs> for the rest of us who don't know new york i've only been to new york that one time that we met uh, all the same virtues, but many, many more. Your show is really good. And I listened to Savage for 10 years before I, it would give me headaches when I was a school teacher. I'm like, I, I, I have to turn this shit off, man. He's just angry all the time. It, you, you, the trick is to be kind of angry, like what you're saying about Boehner and Pelosi without being angry. You, you do that masterfully, man. Well, we can, if, if yeah, I if on. I if it was pedal to the metal like Savage for as long as he did, then I'd have the heart attack like Savage quick soon too. And so you have to I, I don't know people don't want to hear that. And I love and I love that the Michael Savage uh, show. We we listened to it for a lot over here. For at least from like I only started listening to him around 2015. That's when I first started listening to him around 2015, maybe early 2015. My buddy Matt turned me on to him. And um, I was already doing this show for five years at that point. And I was like, oh, this guy, I kind of feel kindred with him. And yeah. um, so yeah. I, I'm glad that I got in on, on the end when he was still screaming at people because he's calmed down a little bit now. It has he? I, I listened from, oh, three 
through about 13 when I was in law school and you know, I was out of the country uh, studying Rome for a little bit, but he, yeah, I mean, I liked when he screamed sometimes, but it's like, you got to be in a good mood some of the time. I, I just think he is a kindred spirit of yours in, in all the best ways you capture a lot of Savage. So. Well, thank you for that, man. Thank you. And I, yeah, I, uh, yeah that, it's, um, it's good to have these little introductory comments uh, and these, these, uh, these back and forths because that's really the, the basis for all the other things that we have to do. Uh, for example, free speech and censorship, censorship in itself. Um, what, do you, what do you think about any of the things going on with, with Twitter? What have you talked about on your, your show? Um, what, have you, what do you think the biggest takeaway is, you think, uh, is the, the Donald Trump big reveal today? Does it go nearly as far as it should or what? Let's just talk about speech for a second before we jump into Christmas and everything. Oh, shit. Well, Twitter had at least 15 spies working as officers, uh, we learned earlier this week. No one's really shocked, but we should be. It, you know, that's that's horrifying. The I agree with everything you said about admin law, so-called admin law, the fourth branch of government. It's it. Why doesn't Trump just shut it down if he wants to drain the swamp? Why just shut down the, the speech chilling? Uh, departments uh, of ABC law. It's it's not it's not consonant with a Republican form of government. It's not consonant with the Tenth Amendment or the police powers of the Tenth Amendment. It's not consonant with self government writ large. And um, Trump's so the, the the first part of Trump's announcement. I agree with you also that those came in opposite order. I mean, you can't take anything seriously the guy says after he shares his. His trading cards as a major announcement, and I forget what else you said. But your comments about uh, Boehner and Pelosi were were ingenious. I, I always hated that guy. I always hated that guy. And, and that and that's really the face of the United States government. That's it. Because you know, Paul Ryan was his little protege. Uh, then he took over. We still see that Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are the ones who are were obviously working and pulling strings behind this lackluster midterms directing money to where it would do worst. Uh, and then, of course, when they got the result that they wanted, they quickly blamed it all on Trump because they want those years to be far behind them so they can get back to, you know, uh, you know, suckling off of people like Nancy Pelosi, like the, the big uh, circle of friends that they are. I mean, we, we only get the WWE version of their relationships on television, but we know what the hell's going on. That's just it. I mean, they, they, they tag in like anybody else does. But, yeah, I... Um, I, I think that we're in a better position than we than we have been. I just hope that the world can hold together so that we can take out the soldering irons and, and, and secure this a little bit more because we are in fragile, fragile condition. Could I make a comment about federalism for half a minute? Please. Yeah, because you, you, you kind of introduced this when we were talking earlier. I, I do think that when... Oh, a couple things. With speech censorship, number one... I don't know how you're, you have many stream channels. I pretty much only use YouTube and Gab, but YouTube, ever since Elon Musk took over, YouTube responded by clamping down. Their, their algo uh, overlords are messing with me much, much more in the last month or month and a half alone. Number two, the solution to this ostensibly over the last three or four years with a lot of the, the post-liberal right-wingers, they're saying the only solution is actually tapping admin law to just do right-wing things. This is a frightening mantra 
to have been undertaken by right wingers. And it was loud and it was proud and they haven't really backed off. But notice all the post-liberal chants for the right to just recommandeer the admin law, you know, big, big government from the right was really silent that when the, after three, four, five years of claiming that there is no recovering something like Twitter, it was the poster child of what couldn't be recovered by the free market. They were utterly, definitely silent when a free market sector solution basically set all of us free to make our, our, our homo LGBTQ jokes on Twitter. Once again, that, that solution was named Elon Musk. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic, so I, I can't believe in him much, but that was a private sector solution. And the, the most important thing is what you said earlier, if you're going to start to chip away at the administrative state, which right-wingers like Adrian Vermeule are saying, again, we should just tap the administrative state to do right-wing things. That's like Boromir trying to use the ring of power to accomplish goodly ends. It just doesn't work that way. Big government just doesn't work that way. Yep. You can't do use big government to do good things. And this is a Catholic principle. This is subsidiarity writ large. But let's do away with the administrative state because it's a, a gross violation of the 10th Amendment you can't, you know, 95% of our laws are regulatory rather than legislative because they come from the admin state. And you have the totally right idea in your, your opening remarks on this. So I just want to say, yes, speak, the federal government shouldn't refrain from censoring our speech because of uh, uh, admin law versus congressional made legislation. It should refrain from curtailing and chilling free speech because they don't have the purview sufficient to reach that. They don't have the legislative purview to reach that amount of, uh, to reach that far. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, for, for those who know, uh, much of what's being discussed right now is just essentially rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic because the, the real problem is that administrative state and the reach and the regulate the regulatory powers that they have wielded just through precedent not because they have any real um there's there's not any legislative charter for them to exist so we'll see what happens but but there has been if we can say anything about 2022 a major foothold has been established in mainstream social media circles i mean there is definitely a hole in the hull of this gigantic mechanism and that hole is is twitter uh, and 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 we should always go um we should always mention in these conversations that all of our presence and all of our activity on places like gab on places like getter and truth social and telegram and anywhere else that has to be maintained full steam ahead um i mean don't don't take the don't take the bait of of reinvesting all your time into Twitter. Use whatever weapons are available, whatever tools are out there. But um, I think we've done great things for the future in helping decentralize social media. But let's get around to some Christmassy things. Did you hear about this? Because last time we talked about St. Nicholas a little bit, and now a couple of weeks, oh, actually October 19th. I've been waiting to do this with you since October, <laughs> Timothy. <laughs> Here it is. The... Uh, the tomb of the original St. Nick reportedly discovered. 
This is by the Daily Wire. The tomb of the famed St. Nicholas, whose memory was immortalized as Father Christmas and still later Santa Claus, has reportedly been found. The original St. Nicholas served in the 4th century as Bishop of Myra uh, in what is now Turkey. He is famed for his anonymous gift-giving, including surreptitiously stuffing coins into people's shoes. Quote, the first church was submerged with the rise of the Mediterranean Sea, and some centuries later, a new church was built above. Osman Eravzar, the chief of Cultural Heritage Preservation Board in Antalya, said of the church in Demre. Now we have reached the remains of the first church in the floor on which St. Nicholas stepped. The tiling of the floor of the first church on which St. Nicholas walked has been unearthed. Have you uh, read into this at all? Well, first off, I just want to open by saying I, I guess they had global warming then from carbon emissions because the the seas rose and and caused the uh, just uh, it was just too much the, too much with the fossil fuels. Yeah, they had too many fossil fuels, too many Humvees. Uh, it's beautiful that his real tomb was excavated. I, I just say this to all the Christians out there. It, Time and time and time again, anytime we've been told this was a phony sarcophagus, sarcophagi, uh, they, they turn out to be real. The, the, the phony sarcophagus of uh, some other priest at the church, some, some Turkish priest, was, was the one that had been misidentified before. And we're always vindicated. We Christians are always vindicated. These guys, if you're a real atheist moron like you know Dawkins. You got Hitchens, who's a pretty smart guy. Most of us were, were at least partly compelled by some of his arguments. But you take like a Dawkins, and they have to back up so fast they're moonwalking when they actually move to say this Christ and all of his followers were mythic figures that the Christians just made up. Not at all. So it's beautiful when Saint Nicholas of Myra, who is this great hero of uh, the the first Ecumenical Council. In, in the Catholic tradition at Nicaea was, was a real guy. He's a real guy, and he really did all the things that we attribute to him. It's beautiful. And he was a brawler, too. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the tradition. The first, the first account of him striking in the face, uh, grabbing the beard and hitting in the face, Arius, the, in some ways, the kind of heresy arc, the first uh, you know, in, in the Catholic tradition, we have 21 ecumenical councils. Most of them respond to some heretic. And um, at the Council of Nicaea, this guy, this guy Arius, was the one being rebuffed, repudiated for having said that Jesus was godlike, but not actually a part of the Trinity. He got struck in the face by Santa Claus, literally his beard grabbed and, and you know, decked on the side of the face. That, that first story popped up in the 12th century. Uh, there's no records of it before that, but I'm always hoping it's true because I like this notion of a kind of Mel Gibson Santa Claus, you know? That's a great, great way to saying it. And, and actually when, uh, oh, and that's the other thing to look forward to. If, I'm always looking for things to look forward to. There's some things in, in 2023 that are already on, on my radar. Some things at home that Lauren and I are working on. We've got great book club lineup. There is just good things. The one other thing is at Easter, we get uh, Mel's second, uh, get the sequel to Passion of the Christ, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, we don't, we don't know exactly what the footage is going to comprise. That they've been really guarded about that, but it's it's going to be exciting. It's kind of like, man, this is this is the part that's uh, 
that remains to be seen from from both a, a scriptural and a kind of ontological perspective. I, I really want to know how he's spent two hours of, of footage. I I am going to put money on it. I don't know who would take take this uh, this bet. It's actually kind of stupid, but I would bet you anything, or at least I hope, just knowing the kind of visuals that uh, Mel has has sought to recreate in the past, that he is going to find a way to follow Jesus's, you know, kicking ass in hell. That whole des- that whole descent into hell thing. Well, like I want to, I want to see the, I want to see the the redemption. The th- what was going on during the three days when he was on a mission elsewhere? That is, I hope that he does that because he already jam packed the first passion film full. I mean, though the, the Satan in all of the different messed up baby forms, uh, peeking you know peeking through the crowd and stuff like that, had no problem dipping into the uh, the nether worlds to create imagery and really leave a mark on you. I hope, I hope we get that. Yeah, the scouring, the scouring of hell, and the the setting setting free, uh, you know, the gates of of the the, the non hell of the damned. I, I really hope so too. And there's been a lot of speculation about that. I have I have a question for you, uh, theological question about the faith. I want to, and I'm going to ask this of a couple of other people too. Um, actually, and both of them non Catholic. I was I'm going to ask Jay Dyer this. He's Orthodox. I know you guys just did a, a, a show together. That was great. I want to ask a few other Christian friends of mine too, but um, because I'm curious about the question being why flesh, why sacrifice. I mean, I mean, for all religion and all all throughout time, there's always stories about people having to sacrifice a chicken or a goat or a lamb or something. But for especially with with uh, with Jesus Christ, I I. When I think about the incarnation and then the subsequent suffering and the crucifixion, that whole story arc there, whether it is a benevolent or a malevolent group out there, my question is why the sacrificing of flesh? Why is it so important to reaching or uh, achieving a, a mission? It's not because it's not just the death, but the incarnation. Why the live birth? Why must he have been born of woman? Why not just a congeal somewhere and walk on? You know, if you're if you're just there to spread a message, why was it the full human experience from start to finish? And that's what I want to know. Yeah, why did he share in every single aspect of human nature except for sin? It's a great question. It's been asked before. I could give you some of my own speculation, but Fulton Sheen in his his uh, award winning show in the late 50s, early 60s, gave the best answer I've ever heard on this. So I'm just going to try to um, recapitulate it here. It's It goes essentially like this. After What people have to, just particularly non-Christians out there, have to understand is that the sin in the garden of Eve and Adam is what required the incarnation of Christ, right? So without the, the second person of the Holy Trinity would not have had to come here to earth without the fall of Adam and Eve and the, the fall of man into the state of sinfulness where we're, we're more prone to sin than to not sin. We call it concupiscence. So what, what about assuming our fleshly form is what you're asking, Frank, uh, it is really so important to human psychology. It's, it's a question because God is an infinitely loving God 
that that he answers from our perspective. Uh, he, he answers, you know, it's given in the into the mode of the receiver to use Thomas Aquinas's expression. And what Fulton Sheen says that's genius is this: Look, there there are ten thousand world religions or whatever. Only three of them are Abrahamic monotheisms. Only three of them are monotheisms, right? Christianity, along with Judaism and Islam. And so to count the other, say, 9,997 off, off the bat right away, this is what I used to say when I would debate, you know, atheists, friends who are atheists in people's kitchens, do public debates with atheists, just scratch them all off. You have to have this cynic one on, this property of uh, uh, unlimited power, space, knowledge, etc. And of those other two among Judaism and Islam, there's no conception of concupiscence that mankind not only are we tempted to sin once every you know 10 minutes sin mortally once a day or something like that temptation is all around us depending on what your circumstances are but also our intellects not only was our will inclined towards sin but our intellects became more darkened and so we can't see the we can't read the obvious sign of the times as the bible says um, often, unless we're in a state of holiness and a state of gr sanctifying grace right after confession, I see more clearly than I do right before confession. And it's really palpable. So for, for Judaism and Islam, with all due respect, there's no expression of the idea that we can't go up to God. And even though they get this much right, monotheism, whereas Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, they don't even get that right. They believe in multiple gods. But I would say the other two monotheisms miss the mark, just like Hinduism or Buddhism, all the Eastern polytheisms, because what they're trying to do, like like Buddha, is have man ascend to God, to, to try to understand the mind of God with the, you know, the noble truths, the Eightfold Way, all, all that stuff. We're not, it's, it's ultra vires. Human beings aren't capable of that. So what did God have to do? Fulton Sheens makes this beautiful analogy. It's like photosynthesis. The sunlight comes down to the plants. God had to come down to us and assume our form so that we could have communion with him. I mean, literally, you know, lowercase c, uppercase c in the, uh, the post-Christian era, you know, after Jesus went back up to heaven. But the point is he had to come down express the limitlessness of the you know triune deity in ways that human beings would understand which is the main mistake that some of the patristics i think it's augustine says this a few of the patristics said this but augustine especially when he was a young man he would read the scriptures and he would look at jesus's beautiful sublime expressions of the triune godhead and he'd be like this is babyish i, I don't even think this is deep if this is the god man God made flesh. Why isn't it deeper? And then it took him living a life of Manichaeism and Neoplatonism and a, a reprobate's life going all around and then being reconverted by his mother, St. Monica, and St. Ambrose, his bishop. He comes back into the church and then he goes to read the scriptures and he's like, I wasn't getting it before. This truly is uh, the expression of divinity. But I couldn't get it because Jesus came down. He spoke like one of us. He was even tempted to sin like us. And, you know, so his his depth, his profundity is all 
soft wired packaged into stuff that if you don't look closely sounds maybe not so divine that's the whole beautiful mystery of the incarnation and there there are four signs of the incarnation that it, I, I don't know how much time we have so i'll just I, go I, I go go, right, go go ahead i would love to hear them all yeah, I got out an old Catholic Answers magazine I wrote an article for for Christmas. This isn't normally my thing. I'm a, I'm a Thomist philosopher, but there's a reminder in these four images of the incarnation, which is what you wanted to talk about, that uh, are for specific groups, I would say. And first off, the star of, of Bethlehem, you know, no, is only mentioned in Matthew's gospel, the star. It's not mentioned in Mark, Luke, or John. And it has a very distinct connection to the books of Micah, Tobit, Numbers, as this is the, it's not a, it's not a proof text, but it's very strong evidence that this is connected to King David, the Davidic line of kings out of Bethlehem, the star will appear above the city of David. And so I, I think the star of Bethlehem is a beautiful reminder, kind of like what I'm saying about Jesus, God made man, it's a subtle but not so subtle reminder to Jews. This is the Davidic king. This is the word made flesh that was told about in these Old Testament books. Now, secondly, I would say another beautiful, subtle, and not so subtle image of the nativity, the incarnation, is the manger. This is one that, um, you know, if you, if you speak to Jay, I know you guys are friends. It, I, I think I think he would agree. It would be maybe your your Protestant Christian listeners that that would be most touched by this, the way the Jews would be most touched by the star if they really take it to heart. The manger is a stark reminder of the real presence. It is a prefigurement. Jesus literally came and as a little baby, you know, prefigured by the lamb, was laden in an animal food trough that in John chapter six, I just wanna remind people in this Advent season, happy Gaudete week, by the way, we're, we're in the week of the pink candle, that he was prefigured, he was laying to rest in a feeding trough. And then in John chapter six, in uh, the bread of life, he's literally, they use the, the word for animal feeding when he says, you have no life in you unless I want you, unless you gnaw or nosh my flesh. He's not being figurative. And to, to make this really clear, his first little crib, uh, baby Jesus, was actually, he was laden in an animal feeding trough. That's incredibly powerful stuff if you take it to heart. It's subtle. Mm. I missed it until one beautiful Latin midnight mass in uh, 2014. A trad priest pointed that out, and I just, it hit me. But it's not so subtle. Uh, just like everything about the incarnation, it's subtle. But if you have eyes to see, it's not that um, it's not that subtle. Uh, the third reminder is the shepherds, uh, you know, the ones that were blessed to see Christ first. And uh, it's a humble reminder to the the high and the mighty, whoever that may be. You know, the socialist would say that's always the wealthy. It's just the high and mighty anyone. It's the people that are out there living a uh, simple life that see Christ first. And fourthly, the shepherd's crook is supposed to be, uh, you know, what the shepherd uses to, to literally wrap around the necks of wayward lambs means bishops who your audience even if they're not catholic they can all join me in saying catholic bishops are themselves wayward they need to remind themselves and their wayward flocks that their job is to reprove uh uh the you know the laity 
lovingly in the name of Christ. All of this is bound together in this one story that that you, uh, true story in Matthew's gospel. It's, it's amazing stuff. And it just, as a kid, because I didn't even believe this stuff going to Catholic schools, it, it I was excited for Christmas for the coarse, crass, materialist reasons that everyone else is. But this stuff truly, particularly in the third week of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, it makes me truly joyful. And remember, Advent's got three purple candles, one pink candle. It's a penitential season, which is the purple, the somber. We should be afraid of the Perugia, the second coming. But it's unlike Lent because there's a healthy mixture of joy, which is what the pink candle is there for. And that's what Gaudete Sunday is. It's the joyful part. Uh, that's why I love I love Advent. It's, it's more fun than Lent, which is purely penitential. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I, I, gotta, I, agree, I gotta agree with you, especially the last two years. I think last year I felt it um, even more so than ever before, where, you know, I, last year, the year before that, I was a father. And I started becoming excited two years ago, um, around this time when, when Aurora was born, she was only a couple of months old. I, I got excited a couple of years ago just because I'm thinking, well, now I got to make Christmases special for her. And I started getting excited, feeling that those, those old excited juices come back from when I was a child. But cause I haven't felt that in a long time for all those crass reasons, because there was, you know, you, you're in, you're in school every day. There's decorations up. You're doing the Christmas play with, with all your friends in Catholic school. Uh, you're doing your Advent calendar, eating all the chocolate every morning. You're doing all... You, you, it's just these things are piling up. And then there is Christmas Eve. You got family. You have that first rounds of gifts. You got a lot of food. Your cousins are over. Christmas Day, it's just gifts everywhere. It's gifts. It's gifts. And, and then all of a sudden, it becomes a pretty sober event throughout high school, throughout college, it gets more and more sobering. You realize that childhood was just, that, that's not coming back. But, but then you start realizing, for me, last year, like you were talking about, that you start feeling the joy this time of year. Last year was the first year that around this time, making all these considerations, these supernatural considerations of, of this time of year and the, and the incarnation of Christ, I started feeling childlike joy. Uh, and 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 it's it wasn't because I I knew that a certain gift was was going to be waiting for me under the, the the tree and I started feeling it uh, in Easter for the first time too, you know Easter weekend the last two years they uh, they were very exciting for me and um, it wasn't because somebody had a basket waiting for me in the in the in the living room the next morning and we saw all the the, the carrots on the coffee table half chewed from the easter bunny that that yeah. that's long gone so i um i totally understand what you mean by that joy i i feel that starting to creep back into my heart and it it feels so much better cuz it's not a, it's not attached to anything material yeah i mean i i can't imagine what it would have been like I've talked about this lots on my show and I think lots with you on this show throughout the years, but I can't imagine what it would have been like to have a, a nice, you know, both and, and to, to grow up going to Catholic school, believing it all. And you get your presence too. It's like, you know, the cherry on top. I, I was, I heard Michael Knowles say this on Matt Frad's show a couple weeks ago, and I just couldn't relate to something more growing up in Catholic school. I'm not sure he went to Catholic school, but I grew up in a Catholic school. I was a full non-believer by eighth grade by the time I made my confirmation. I mean, there is no, it couldn't, couldn't have meant less to me. 
and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I just, I'd come up in the post concilia church. Like I didn't, I didn't believe a whit of it. Um, so yeah, Christmas was special. Cause it's like, well, you, you do this, these stories where you talk about church, me and my brothers would always say, come on, let, let, you know, not that this is an evil notion, but like, let's, let's get church out of the way. We would say it. And it was totally an afterthought. It's totally, totally disrespectful. There's nothing wrong with wanting your gifts, but say, let's, let's get Christmas out, uh, mass out of the way. And then we'll get home. We'll get to our presents. I, now it's like, I've just replaced the childlike joy with a more profound childlike joy that I used to think people were lying about before. I, I can't express it since I realized with certainty that it's all real. <laughs> it's all real. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's another thing that we did last year as a, just a, a, a side comment. I asked you what your favorite Christmas song was last year. And last year was the last, it was the first time that I told you that I listened to the little drummer boy and I actually, I, I didn't, I, for the first time ever, I didn't skip it when it came on, you know, one playlist or another. And I just, I listened to it all the way and I listened to the, the words and it hit me and I realized it almost like overwhelmed me with emotion. And I realized that this was probably one of the, the best Christmas songs out there. And for everything you just said, the, the humble, the humble uh, beginnings in, uh, in a manger, in a, in a, in an animal feeding trough, as, as you said, that, uh, that the first people t to lay eyes on Jesus is our, our, our shepherds and you know, and, and the story of the little drummer boy. Oh my God! It 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 makes it makes it it's so much more powerful now than ever before. And I'll go through those lyrics some other time. But one thing I want to ask you about now, since we're talking about the incarnation, we can always save this for Easter. But why the uh, why the suffering then? Why not just a you know a massive coronary at age seventy six? Why why the the crucifixion and not a heart attack? Well, the crucifix. Now, this is not um, penal atonement theory. is a very Calvinist theory that that is not dogma in the church. There's never been a um, justificatory dogma that's set as to why the cross. But penal atonement is basically one one competing theory, and um, it's one that I, I find plausible. Right? There has to be a a blood debt paid somewhere this is again not not catholic dogma where we don't have dogma your uh, theologians are free to speculate but remember after adam and eve blew it for us all in the garden sin is followed by suffering sickness and death sin is followed by suffering sickness and death they blew it for all of us and because really this original sin of feminism but we can get into that another time and death is the natural cause death uh, sorry is the 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 final cause of sin so our deserts you, you'll hear calvinist preachers like you know sinners in the hands of an angry god you might have read in school it sounds sounds really ugly but death is justice for us that's what we we technically deserve so christ comes to trade I mean, a really quick iteration of this. Here, here's what Christ traded out, his suffering for ours, his cross for ours. But a, a really, really, really quick walkthrough is that the Old Testament in Judaism was the religion of sacrifice, which means literally sacrifice. It comes from the Exodus, comes from Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt 
and they did so by the Passover, by literally sacrifice, making holy. It would be the you know the man makes holy by smearing the blood of the lamb over your uh, uh, door. And if you forgot to set your alarm, you forgot to wake up, and you didn't smear the blood of the lamb, the angel of death would pass over, would not pass over your house, and you would be killed along with the Egyptians, even if you were a Jewish man that was uh, supposed to be saved by this. So Judaism is the religion of sacrifice. We are the religion of God's self-sacrifice, Jesus's self-sacrifice, changing sacrifice into sacrament. And literally, we call it Pasqua. You know what that means? Like in, in Italy, when I was there studying, Pasqua, that means Passover. It happens, Passover, at, at our, on our Holy Thursday. The Jews are eating the Passover Seder. You know why? Because while the Jewish sacrificial Passover is um, a kind of worldly salvation from being being ground under boot by worldly overlords like the Egyptians or the many people that, that, that pushed the Jews around in the Middle East in the Old Testament. The Christian Passover, which is Easter weekend, the Triduum, is being saved from sin, suffering, sickness, and death. And so it's through Christ's final sacrifice of the, 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 the last Paschal lamb, that's what he calls himself, the lamb. You know, the Jewish priest would at Passover sacrifice a lamb or a bull, and it's sacrifice. Sacrifice becomes sacrament, the state of already being made holy, sacrama. So sacrifice becomes sacrament, and that requires some sort of uh, blood, uh, the last lamb, uh, some sort of penal atonement. That's, that's a, anyway. that's a, it's, it, it's very interesting there's still a lot of things i don't i don't understand first of all i mean somebody had to be the first person to sin if it wasn't adam and eve it could have just been you know three generations after them and then they would be the first ones that would you know that's somebody had to be the first it just so happens they were the first two around i mean and it's just i think about this stuff all the time and i'm sure once we get closer to to uh easter we can discuss that more but uh to, to close this show out on that whole point of uh, suffering, uh, now that when we talk about what's going on today, I want to I want to read this one thing to you. Now I don't know if you have realized and have seen just how this euthanasia movement has been spreading around the world, especially starting from Canada. It's being I mean, once the UK really starts biting into this, I mean, that, it, you better watch out because they go all in on everything out there. And I wouldn't be surprised if we are not too far behind too. But in Canada recently, we've had stories of uh, elderly uh, guys, well, I mean, people in their 60s, not, not necessarily elderly, but senior citizens that are just on financial financially hard times that just need to garner two two signatures from doctors to be able to be killed, be put down. There was in, they said, and there's some people who are out there trying to get this done. We were reading about it in the Daily Mail. 
there was another woman. She was a Canadian veteran that had uh, that was trying to find somebody from the Canadian government to help subsidize the installing of a wheelchair lift to go up her stairs. And when they were having problems getting that done, and she was talking about you know the condition that she's in where she has to actually crawl up and down the stairs until she gets a lift, they actually suggested to her maybe applying for for you know assisted suicide. No, it, it continued. But now listen to this. Because I brought up incarnation and the, the life and suffering and death and, and how that is all taken on with some sort of supernatural duty, you know, life, suffering, death and what we make of it. Listen to this, how nihilism has completely twisted these people into monsters. Here is a uh, let's see here. This is someone, Trevor Moore, who's the chairperson of a group in Canada called My Death, My Decision, uh, says that, quote, many people who are incurably suffering, because, and, and, and notice the word, the, the use of incurably, incurably suffering, because they, they're so fucking diabolical in the way that they create these terms. These are calls to action right here. They're not, he's, he's not saying terminally ill. Uh, incurably suffering. So there's no conceivable cure for the anguish that any one person is going through, whether it be physical or non-physical or financial suffering. So incurably suffering. Think about that term just in itself. Many people who are incurably suffering and people who have witnessed a loved one's painful death would welcome the inquiry. I hope that members of parliament look at all the international evidence that shows that safe, compassionate, assisted dying laws are possible. People who are incurably suffering deserve the right and freedom to make decisions about the end of their lives, he added. I mean, what the hell do you think about that? I think when you invert, I talk about this at some length in my first book, Catholic Republic, like when you invert the natural law, then the corollaries of the natural law called the natural rights, life, liberty, property, it's a small list. There's no, like you said, you were saying it brilliantly earlier. There's no right to work. You don't, you don't have a right to a job. You don't have a right to healthcare. It's life. If you can keep it, like Ben Franklin said about good government, liberty, use it well. It's, it's freedom oriented at the good, not freedom for its own sake and, and property, you know, if you, if you earn it, um, and under a, an anti-natural law regime, which they've got, you know, you know, Castro's, uh, you know son or whatever has got going in that that canadian regime that you you can't have true natural rights they're anti-natural rights right there's 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 a right of the government to take your your private property it's called public property even here in america we have uh, Kilo versus city of new london they can they could take your property uh, is the governing law on point there's not liberty freedom to do the good all there is is license a cheap surrogate uh, passing itself off, masquerading as liberty. Uh, license is freedom for its own sake. That's always evil. Freedom to do the good is liberty. And they don't believe that you have liberty anyway. That's why the government takes your real rights and puts garnish on the plate instead. Well, you can you you could you could chop your dick off if you want. If you're a um, you know trainee, you have that right. But especially this one, the right to life is actually a, a right of death. 
And that's why you have this Kevorkian movement in the uh, the English-speaking places, especially the Five Eyes, and and it, it tends to begin these days in Canada because of um, lots of forces that you, that you talk about there. Yeah, so I, I think that's sort of what's going on. It's a, a rush to um, invert the three natural rights, and this is the most shocking one because it's a right of death. It's just uh, you know, to, to see this cropping up, and of course, these headlines are published this time of year for a reason, to pull anybody who is on the path to something joyful and something that, you know, the anticipatory joy in, in, in something bigger than these reindeer games that we're always playing with each other down here on Earth. Um, man, it's, uh, it's just incredible, the kind of war that's being waged. So we, uh, here we are. Here we are, shouldering on, Timothy Gordon, shouldering on. And as I said before, people are really excited about starting off the year with you in book club. And perhaps you can let everybody know what you have coming up on your channel, if you have anything, uh, any any books that are, are in the, the feeder or any books that are out there ready for last-minute Christmas gifts for people. Go ahead, tell everybody what's going on in your world. Thanks again, Frank. Uh, it's always fun to come on with you. Hell yeah. I have... Uh, Still, I, I put out one book each of the last four years. I'm beginning to feel like Dick Morris. I mean, these are quality books. Some <laughs> of them took years to write, and they just happened to drop four years in a row. So this year, um, this my, my co-author, Dr. Michael Robillard, went on Tucker Carlson with this book, Don't Go to College, A Case for Revolution. That one, we haven't billed that much because I'm I'm too busy billing my other books, uh, Case for Patriarchy, Rules for Retrogrades, and Catholic Republic. Get those at... Uh, any fine bookseller today, like Barnes and Noble, I guess, or Amazon, though they're both Leviathan uh, leftist uh, heinous bitch goddesses. <laughs> can, 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 um, are all those links on uh, timothyjgordon.com as well? Yes, sir. Go to go to timothyjgordon.com as well. Uh, on Friday mornings, one thing it's like a podcast within a podcast. I want to get you on for this. By okay. the way, I've been talking to you about this. We do something, I do it with Elliot Hulse, strongman Elliot Hulse, who's a Catholic. Do it with uh, Nolan Nose, who's making a big splash on Twitter. You should you should follow him, Frank. Will okay. Noland, he's an English strongman. It looks like Henry Rollins. Oh, damn. I don't want to mess with that guy. And then when my Don't Go to College co-author, uh, I mean, these are tough dudes. Uh, our Army Ranger, Oxford Doctor of Philosophy, Dr. Michael Robillard. These guys are all really tough. I'm the only one that hasn't done like bodybuilding uh, uh, amateur or professionally. And uh, so the four of us do something called Sea Mask on Friday mornings. It's Christian masculinism, a an explanation of why Christian men should be patriarchs and shouldn't be little wimpy, nerdy Ned Flanders guys. Tomorrow we're doing a Fight Club episode just sharing a bunch of our fights, why Christian men should actually know how to fight and should have been in a lot of fights. Uh, I, I have too much experience there in my wayward youth, but uh, it's a really fun podcast within a podcast. We do it Friday mornings. Go to Timothy Gordon on YouTube. Sometimes Royce White and his buddy A.J. Barker join us. It's a lot of fun. I want you to join us real soon. Oh, I would love that. That would be that would be really fantastic. And again, thank you for joining me for the second December 15th in a row, and I hope that we can continue this on in, in all the years to come. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me and everyone out there. My new favorite Christmas song is Gaudete in honor of Gaudete week. So God bless you. S all. Send me the link to that because obviously I want to hear it. Okay. All right, man. Have a good one. Send the best to Steph and the children. 
You too. Peace right. to the whole fam, brother. Peace. Be well. You too. All right. Well, listen, we're going to go on a really quick break. Uh, what was it? 8, 18, 8, something around there. Something like that. Anyway, yeah, I have a, I have to run down the hall real quick and uh, use, use the men's room. So I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a a drum jam, an old an old drum jam. I have to do more of these and isolate them for these these little these little breaks. Um, yeah, this was a couple of years ago, about five or five years ago or so. Got to do more of these, but we will be right back. Don't go anywhere.
Session. Quite frankly. 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 So everybody watch, quite frankly, with Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? We're back. We are back. You know what I have to do? I have to play that. That um, I know I have it somewhere. It was a. It was a flashback. Holidays. Little drummer boy synchronicity. Ah uh, yes. This is three minutes twenty five seconds. It's eight thirty. Let's play this. This is from last year. So last year, uh, on December 15th, I had this this talk about, about the little drummer boy with Timothy Gordon. It just came up. And then on the, the big family night show that we did when my parents were in, there was a moment of synchronicity between my mother and I that I thought was, was nuts. I thought that maybe she had had saw the show prior to and, and and whatever but listen to this this is uh this was last year three minutes 25 seconds why not it's why the hell not all right here we go <laughs> you know what's really gotten me lately and I, there's tim there's tim I don't know where it came from because it was another one of those songs that I didn't like the pacing. It was easy to make fun of and all that other stuff. But Little Drummer Boy, recently, and maybe it's because of the birth of my daughter because ever since she has been born, I am an emotional wreck about (laughs) about everything. (laughs) But, But when I listen to this song... It, yeah. I got a new new respect for that song this year out of nowhere because I always skipped. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it ends up being incredibly based. I used to think it was a silly song too, but I also have begun, not not for the lyrical reason, I just, I like the, the, the melody is growing. Yeah. 
You want to know what I cried over? What? I mean, I knew the words all my life. I just heard it in the, on the radio yesterday, and I was really listening. Little drummer boy. You got to be fucking kidding me. You Little drummer boy. You got to be kidding. You got to be kidding me. I just did. You hear me talk about this the other night? No. For the first time in my life, I heard this song my entire life, and I can't tell you how choked up. It made me. As a matter of fact, because I heard it and I and it, and it resonated with me somehow, like the first time ever. I can't believe the, we the probably. Drummer boy, I I went on on television and like did the search. It was on. I recorded it. I didn't watch it yet because I said I need this time because I know I'm going to start crying my eyes out. But but the mom, I, this is very odd. I mean, any this is not very, odd. It's look at what I recorded. The, I recorded the little drummer boy. I know. I I believe you. I'm just saying that the synchronicity of you and I having this very same yeah. Ig really ignoring, not giving the it's it any. I I, I don't even know why. Because I knew the words. I used to sing along with it. It just never... There's a few things that got me. The I am a poor boy, too. Yeah. And being self-conscious about not having something that would be fit for a king. But for that king to be poorer than you, he's sleeping with animals. When he said, I played my best for him. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does that mean? Because you think about what drum was he playing on what what did he have what kind of training did he have how good was his best and the fact that it may not have been that good but it was but it, it was is, all he can give but it's the it's amazing and then when they say the song says then she smiled at him mm -hmm. no no mary nodded jesus smiled and you think about what amazing, oh, well, what I would do for a, a, a nod from Mary and a smile from Jesus. You've gotten many. <sighs> yes. They're there. All right, that's I'm getting very teary-eyed. Okay. Well, well, that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah, well, no. <laughs> I, I I'm was holding. Oh, if I, if I want to give you. <laughs> <I can laughs> Incredible. Incredible, and, and and those those are the those are the moments that we pile up on this show. Those are the moments we pile up on this show that not very few, that not very many shows do. I will say, and and not as a slight, not as a slight. It's just that this is how the show was was built. Those are those are moments that I I I think are invaluable. Invaluable. It's it's and for all those same reasons. All those same r reasons. Little drummer boy lyrics. Listen to it the next time. My my entire my entire thoughts on this they'll never be the same. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king, so to honor him when we come. And then little baby, I'm a I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give a king. Shall I play for you on my drum? And what is it? It's like one of those play school drums. I start thinking of those little boys and girls in the Dominican Republic who are playing baseball with milk cartons as gloves. You know? Where they just want to play baseball. And they're, it's not about uh, being, being feeling sorry for yourself because you don't have as much money as the average American kid does. But listen, we got to make this work. 
let, let's let's make a ball out of something and let's cut some uh, some uh, milk cartons open, and that'll be our gloves. That's that's what I'm thinking about with this drum. Mary nodded. The ox and lamb kept time. I pr- I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Not bad. Not a bad story to tell when you grow up either. Not a bad story at all. Okay, so let's go and take some take some time and jump into the into the super chats. We have a couple here. Stostube, thank you so much. It's always good to have you out there. I it's uh I'm spoiled to always kind of expect to see him in in there. Christos and Sarah very spoiled by many of you but thank you Stostube Troy in Eastern Washington says hope your mug is filled with a delicious beverage tonight cheers cheers mine is filled with a delicious cold uh, cup of water Chentan so that's a little bit from there thank you so much okay no rumble rants always kind of no rumble rants but over here on foxhole looks like we have some some gold pills i thought i'd get a little bit more out of out of uh out of people uh contributing to the show on rumble we have more viewership there than we do on on um youtube these days and youtube's been demonetized since april of 2020 we actually have super chats over there but maybe soon all right here we go Witchy poo, I choose life. It's good to hear it. And there's Bob, just because. Thank you. Porpoiseful, thank you. River Pike. Uh, Manamanon, thank you. Cave Toad, thanks, Tim Gordon. Robert Sarns with a phone. Nao says, great conversation, Tim and Frank. Chat conversation is just as often awesome. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nao. Thank you so much. Keith, good to see you. Cave Toad, did you like the Cappy Track video I put in the Mouth of Babes thread? Post 64, banned version has subtitle. Uh, no, I have not seen that yet. I'm hoping to get through the Mouth of Babes thread a little bit more, perhaps tonight, who knows? It's 8.36, we have a little bit of time. We can take some calls too, if you like. 914-595-6953. Switchrod says, wow, I had a nod uh, I had a nod from Mary and a smile from Jesus. Mom, you've had many. No, that was my father said you've had many. Well, I've... We can only hope and pray and work. Could try to earn those nods and those smiles along the way. Judy the Lady Pug, thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, so what do we do now? What on earth do we do now? I have a few things to show you, but I guess we can take a a call from Art from New York. How are you, Art? It's good to hear from you. I'm okay. I'm good. And I'm calling today to wish you Merry Christmas to you and Merry Christmas to your family, to your friends that you bring every time to nourish uh, the, the scene 
and uh, Merry Christmas to the whole family of Frank and um, life is good Frank yeah. I hope uh, and I, I pray for God to enlighten your path don't take it against you you need to struggle to keep the show going on man hmm. I appreciate that art I you, you have, that hits at a very at a very um, I don't know it's very well timed that that statement you need the struggle and it, it, this has been a it's been a struggle filled year I'll, I'll tell you that much and I wish I was concentrated that's why I love the shows like tonight I get to concentrate a little bit more about uh, on uh, concepts of life and hope and joy uh, you know all around the same time that I'm I'm planning funerals and and um, I'm and and to be honest I'm still missing I'm still missing the people that are gone I I miss I I miss Skip I I think about my it's gonna be the first Christmas without my grandmother um, it's a, it's a lot but I, I I know that everybody in the audience is is going through just as much if not worse at times because I get a lot of feedback from them and that's another reason why I feel like sharing is so important because um, it keeps uh, it keeps people a little bit more in orbit and not so disconnected from one another. Hallelujah, man! That's 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 good spirit. That's that's the meaning of life. You're young, and don't you worry. You know, as far as you breathe, and you respect every breath you take, and not take it for granted. That's the light, man. You know, keep faith in the breath you take, man. You have a little baby, beautiful wife. Your mom is still alive, you know, and you have your brother and you have, you know, the team, you know, that working with you, you know, you struggle, but light is in, within, you know. What about you? What, you man. what what about you, Art? What are you what are you doing? Uh, what do you do this time of year? Um, I don't I don't know what uh, how how you you celebrate religiously with anything. I haven't we haven't had that conversation. But what about your family? Do you do you have a lot of family here in the states? Are you all alone? What what do you have going on? <laughs> no, I'm alone. But I I, I am, my family is my my joy to to listen to a show like this or to another show. Or to to see one thing, right? I am going to be sincere. My real thing is my constitution, man. That's my celebration, man. I don't want to see my dis the destruction of my constitution. That's my joy. That's my life. That's my family, and that's why I'm here. Well, Art, I'll tell you one thing. You 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 definitely got family in this uh, in this audience and with this show. And one of these days, I don't know when the hell it is. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's the year after. But one of these days, you and me, we are going to go see the Rockettes uh, at Radio City. <laughs> that would be nice. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, you know, guess what? I I, I was one one of uh, the guys and uh, the team of uh, restoring. Uh, Broadway theaters, man. Oh, you were? Believe it or not. Yes. What yes, kind of yes, what kind yes, of restoration? Then, what kind of restoration work would you do? Like, uh, um, what would woodworking, paint, what? No, decorative painting, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear yeah, about it's that. Like a very, from the start to the end of it, and I almost died. Like I saw in one of those places on on off Broadway, you know. So. You almost died? Yeah, yeah. I had a bad accident at work, man. You... I had a bad accident 20 years ago, and I'm still struggling. But I'm still alive, so 
no matter what. <laughs> what would you? What did you like? Did you fall off scaffolding or something? Yeah. Oh wow! How Sorry, high? But it is seventeen feet, man. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I'm uh, Frank, I'm, I, I just want to mention one thing. Yeah. You are not going to believe it, but we met. We met. Yes. Where? Uh, once in the bar in in Manhattan. We went. We and we, they asked okay. asked you about your tattoo. And they said, "What is the meaning of your tattoo?" And here comes uh, the the owner of the bar, and he told me about you. And uh, he said he's he's a YouTuber and he talks politics. And so you introduce yourself, and you. You gave you you gave me the name of your um, of your show, but I forgot about it. But uh, after I talked to you once and twice and three times, you know the memory came back, and I remember you were telling me it's so easy. It's quite frankly. What what bar? What do you? Uh, what wh where was this? I don't even I don't even. Soho bar. Soho bar. I I I I gotta tell you, Art. I have absolutely no memory of this. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to think about this. I'm gonna have to think about this one. We had met once mm -hmm. before, and the guy—I I mean, I've never been recognized by anybody in in New York City. You said that the the owner of the bar knew it w knew who I was and told, gave you like the, the 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 lowdown of who I was. Yes. I don't know, man. Maybe you maybe you met somebody else with the show. I, I don't remember this at no, all. No, 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 no. I'm sure about you, man. I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna figure this out. We will do. We'll do. <laughs> but like, um, uh, I pray for God to, 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 so that you keep your smile, my brother. You know, you're young, and you have to keep your smile no matter what, man. And we're going to get through this moment, no matter what. You're right. There is always light of, at the end of the tunnel, man. No matter what, our constitution is the best, and the world is watching, and they're waiting for our fight to get through, man. As simple as that. Thank you for the call, Art. It's great to hear from you. Thank you. And I hope that you get through again before uh, before next the next week we break for the holiday. Thanks again for everything. You're welcome, man. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. I don't know. A, a bar in Soho. That's all your tattoo. Which one? I saw somebody said it was a gay bar. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I wasn't at a gay bar with art. Um. Oh, man. I don't, uh. I thought he was going to say, oh, I saw you at a hookah bar in Alphabet City. That I could have believed, but I don't. I don't remember having any kind of conversation with people. But it had to be somebody else. I mean, Art seems pretty convinced, but I. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense to me. I'm trying to. I'm trying to go back, and I have a pretty good recall. And I don't get. I don't get very drunk or anything like that when I go out, so my memory wouldn't be cloudy because I drive home. At the end of the night, I'm driving home, so I'm not getting drunk. So I don't know why I wouldn't remember that. Uh, Nine seven zero. You're on the air. Who's this? Yeah, hi there. I'd like to talk to Frank if I can. You like to, okay, okay. Please turn the uh, the show off in the background, please, and take the, yourself off of speakerphone if you're on speakerphone. Yeah, I was on speakerphone, and 
I got through, Tony. Could you please turn the TV off the sound? Thanks. <clears throat> okay. All right. You want to talk he to Frank? He wants you to turn the sound off. Yes, yes. please. I'll go in the other Okay. Hear me. I'll go in the other room. Okay, here we go. All right, hold on. Let me let me go get Frank. Hold on a second. I'll I'll be right with you. Okay, thank you. Hello, Frank. Hello, who we got here? Hello. Hi, Frank. Uh, my name is Catherine. Catherine, welcome to the show. Now- Hi, my husband watches you. My husband, Tony, he watches you every day, faithfully. I, I, I can't even get him to do anything else when he's watching you. <laughs> Catherine. But anyways. Is, well, Catherine. I, I, so how, I was watching you. Wait, how, how, long, how long have you and Tony been married? Oh, God, for uh, 20 years. Nice. 20 years. <laughs> Very Long nice. enough. <laughs> long, long enough. Long enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Well, the reason I'm calling you, Frank, is because he asked the fellow that you were talking to earlier uh, that you had on the show about why why did Christ have to go through that with the with the death and the crucifixion and everything? Why did it have to be that way? Mm-hmm. And and. I thought he could have gave you a better answer, because you know what I got out of all that? What? Is that, look at how we have to, did you ever feel persecuted? I mean, look what he did for everybody. He fed the hungry, he made the blind see, he did miracles for everyone, and what did he get? No good no no good deed goes unpunished as they say. Well exactly and and so whenever I what I got out of that is that whenever I feel so persecuted or or like why is this happening to me I think about that and then I slap myself in the face <laughs> and say well, look what they did to Jesus. Oh, you yeah, know, it, Catherine, you, you make you make a great point. For for simplistic, uh, for simplistic application to everyday life, it is definitely something that you can pull up, just as a perspective builder to have perspective uh, whenever whenever we're going through our our own our our little our personal trials, because I mean, personal trials can be just as brutal and and just as as. Uh, as agonizing as anything else, but it's always good to feel like uh, you know there's there's been people uh, in, in much higher standing that have gone through the same kind of thing before, and it, it makes it at least at least in that respect that it, it could make you feel like you're not alone, right? Well, exactly, and that, that's the main thing I I really get out of it. I really got out of it is that uh, you know look what they did to him. So whenever I feel persecuted. Which we often do, you know. We're like, well, "What did I do?" You know, and, and 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 you feel like you're you're being punished for something, and what did you do wrong? And then imagine how he felt. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and then I don't feel so bad. And that that's the comfort I get out of that. Well, that's is all that's I good. basically wanted to share with you. No, I, I think, and I think that is very. 
uh, I think it's very based. I think it's very, very simple, um, simple thing, a way that people can apply that simply to everyday life for sure. And please, Catherine, send my best to John. I'm, I'm happy he watches as much as you say he does. No, it's Tony. It's oh, Tony. Tony. And he just adores you. He wa- he drives me crazy. He watches you faithfully every single day. <laughs> Catherine I can't Tony. Even talk to him when you're on the air. <laughs> well, uh, uh, this must speak. this must kill him then. You you can't even talk to him when uh, I'm on the air, and now you're on the on the phone with me, and he's in the other room. Yeah, he's getting a kick out of it. <laughs> oh, well, I just saved you. I just saved I just saved your number in here as Catherine and Tony. So next time you call in, I'll know who it is. All right. All right, Frank. Take care and keep do, doing such a great show. Here's <laughs> that was Tony. He's, okay, take care, Frank. Okay, bye you. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, you two. Have a good one. Have a good one. Uh, oh, here, oh, you know, here's a little something. I had a couple, I'll throw this out there because I have 10 minutes left. So I'm just going to say this. Remember last night we were talking about the demonic portals that were opening up supposedly over the White House, according to Roger Stone? Well, I had a couple of people write in. One of them was our very own Doc Keck. Here is from Doc Keck. He says, Frank, great show last night. I think I cracked the case of the object flying over the White House. Best explanation I can muster is that it is a lighting artifact on the camera for the live feed view. I clicked on it and I saw what appears to be a red object floating over the White House. Uh, Just a light refraction, man. Prayers that Roger was calling for to close the portal over the White House are better spent opening the grace of God's favor upon one's own family in life. Many blessings, Doc Keck. So, instead of praying to close up the portal with Roger Stone, turn those prayers inward to your family and call God's favor upon the ones you love. That's what uh, Doc Keck would prescribe. And, and to back Doc Keck up, I got another email from Guido in the chat room, and, and uh, here you go. The satanic portal, quote-unquote, over the White House, I saw it last night, and it was barely visible at sunrise, not visible in the afternoon. At sunrise, there were four other artifacts to the right of the portal. The, the, portal. the biggest was lavender, then a green one, then two whitish lavender ones, and those did look like lens flares. You see movement in all of these as if they were swirling. But digital cameras do that when they can't clearly define an object. It is a function of the video processor. I've seen that circular cluster of lights uh, made by an infrared light on an infrared camera. camera. The lower end of the IR spectrum, infrared spectrum, um, is visible to the naked eye as a faint but distinct glow. My hypothesis is that there are two IR security cameras pointing in the direction of this camera and created two lens flares, one for each infrared light. The White House cam shows these lights as faint red because it is not an IR camera. I think if it were, these blobs would be bright white. If this is the same phenomenon, uh, if this same phenomenon is visible from other cameras and at different angles, then you may have something legit. 
I think this is one of those stories put out there to make Christians look bad when it gets debunked. It does, this doesn't change the fact that I believe that there's probably at least one demonic portal in the White House. How else would Joe and his staff commute? That is from Guido. He also put a postscript on that. He said, Frank, I forgot to mention, infrared security cameras are extremely common on rooftops. If one or two of them are pointed directly at the White House cam and just below frame, it very well could create a lens flare that appears whenever it's dark. That lower sphere looks exactly like that, and the upper one could be a parallax effect of the lower image. You see? You see, and that's the leeway we have on the show. We could bring it up. We can say, what if? It could have been a great segue for me to use to, to jump into another topic about portals and, 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 and testimony about demonic encounters, and we could have a great spooky night. And then I still have the leeway to come back tomorrow and say, oh, by the way, I know we had a great show last night, and all things considered, um, we think we have a, a more reasonable and a more mundane reason for that appearance of, of a portal. Not to say that portals don't exist and that we shouldn't be talking about them. And that above all, we need to address what happened at Skinwalker Ranch and continues to happen at Skinwalker Ranch. But there you have it. See, I'm not, I'm not going to let you out. I'm not going to let you go out there and tell all your family this weekend that there's portals over the White House. Now you'll know exactly what's going on. And then, of course, when the portal opens up over the White House, we'll know. Because we have two people who, at least two people in the audience, who could analyze these things with uh, a, a decent amount of expertise. And get back to us and say, no, Frank, I think that this is the real deal now. That parallax effect is no longer in effect. All right, well, that's it. That's, that's all I have. Thank you, Timothy Gordon, for being a great, gracious guest. I'm always so happy to have him on the show. Um, I'm, gl I'm glad that we met. Reached out to him uh, many years ago at this point, and we've just had one good conversation after the next. No doubt about it. But here we have it. Chai Possum says, The little drummer boy is you several millennia later. Ba-rum-pa-pum-pum. Well... It's not several millennia. It's a couple millennia. If Matt was here, he would tell you what several millennia are. Maybe Matt will be here tomorrow night. I'll ask him about it. But thank you for that, Chai Possum. Thank you so much. And uh, I appreciate Larkstar. Boy, oh boy. Larkstar just sent a very generous rumble rant. I hope you didn't feel pressure to do this, Larkstar. I was just talking in generalities. Happy holidays, she says, from your fans. What a wonderful gift from a wonderful person who's been around supporting this show for many years. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys and gals. Um, Linda Love says, I love John Ward in the foxhole. Well, I sent a, uh, I sent a, a message to John Ward not too long ago, and guess what? I got a text message back. I would want to let everybody know, because I'm sure he would not be upset with me doing so, and letting everybody know that John Ward is just fine, and he's getting on with life, and it didn't seem, I'm not getting anybody's hopes up, 
it didn't seem like he's planning on spending the rest of his days in complete seclusion, that he still has a, uh, a creative itch that needs to be scratched. And who knows? I would love for him to come back on this show. I invited him to the studio Christmas party. He almost came. But, uh, almost. What the hell does almost mean? He wasn't here. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of people been wondering about how he is. He's fine. He's fine. We spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I was very happy to get a response back. So there you go. Every once in a while, I get a John Ward comment out there. Switchrod says, so you may have peace. So you may have peace in the world. You have to have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. So you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation. Well, we have to do a show one night about tribulation. A lot of great things lined up for the new year. And now Stosub just dropped an entire sleeve of cookies on us. And now Switchrod says, pray Joe and family. All of our persecutors fall to knees. Confess Christ as Lord. Believe in resurrection. Well, thank you guys and gals for this. I'm, uh, I feel that we've finally turned a Christmassy corner. You know? Because tomorrow night we'll have some fun, but all next week it's going to be Christmas and getting in the mood and and just and and soaking this time up because it's a long crawl to the end of the year and it always goes by way too damn fast, just way too damn fast. So, um, you know, just be happy, I guess. That's easy enough, right? All right, we'll see you tomorrow, seven o'clock. You guys are the best. Talk to you soon. Good night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters, starting with all my beautiful friends over there on Foxhole. Thank you. And another one just came in from Cave Toad, a fleet. I just want to give Cave Toad a digital hug for that, and everybody else too. Thank you to Larkstar. Thank you to all my friends on, quite frankly, superchat.com, Chai Possum, Palador Veyros. Another brilliant show, Palador says. Little Drummer Boy. Thank you, Little Drummer Boy. Stostube and Troy in Eastern Washington. I cannot wait for 7 o'clock tomorrow when we reconvene. Until then, go to quitefrankly.tv, take a look around, become a sponsor, buy some merch, patronize our wonderful affiliates and friends, and we will see you on the morrow.